Um, well, today we're finishing up, finally, the Beatitudes series that we began in June. Um, and I don't know if it's been something that God has used to bless you, but it has definitely been something that he's used to grow my faith. Um, I have been challenged by pretty much every one of these Beatitudes statements um, in ways I didn't really even see coming. A lot of them kind of blindsided me a little bit. Um, and I've said this seven times already, so I'm going to go ahead and say it eight times, just in case anybody who is here missed it or, or just doesn't really know what the Beatitudes are. Um, they are a list of eight statements that Jesus made at the very beginning of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And on the surface, it just kind of looks like Jesus is trying to tell people, hey, this is what the world is like, but my way of doing things is totally different than that. And he is trying to communicate that. But when you look at all of the Beatitudes collectively, all at once, what you start to see is they're actually a pathway. They're actually a journey of transformation that Jesus is trying to take us on. And each Beatitude is kind of a step along that path. And this, this pathway, if we were willing to walk it, will over time transform us to actually being like Jesus, to help us love like him and live like him. And it's really important that we understand that, um, because if you're a Christian, these steps of transformation are required. Like, we, we must walk through these steps. We must be willing to open our hearts to the work of God to change how we normally think, how we normally see the world, and to try to conform to the way he calls us to live, the better and higher way he calls us to live. And the reason it's so important that we see that is because there is this really foolish lie that has kind of perpetuated or permeated the American church, and it's that the most important parts of the Christian life are the beginning and the end. That what you really need to make sure you get right is the opening sequence of how you become a Christian, and if you can do that, then you've got the end all taken care of. So if you can jump through whatever hoops that your church or your denomination tells you to, depending on what church experience you have or where you grow up. Some churches, you just got to pray a prayer. Some say you just got to get baptized. Some say you got to be christened when you're a baby and then go through some classes when you're a teenager. Okay, If you can go through those steps and get through whatever hoops the church says, boom, you did it, now you're a Christian, then you can kind of say, okay, now my end is set up, and what happens in the middle really doesn't matter a whole lot. And what you end up with is a lot of people who've spent a lot of time and dedication making sure they got those opening steps taken care of, but then they never try to spend the in-between time living like Jesus. They have almost no desire to really conform and, and follow Jesus where he wants them and where he's trying to take them and lead them. And here's the thing, Jesus' hope for us wasn't just that we would make it through some initiation process, like we're joining a frat or a sorority. That's not the plan. So he can be like, oh, you're in, good for you, you jumped through all the hoops, okay, now you're in for life and you're, you're set to go. That's not what this is. He actually wants to break the chains that hold us in a sinful pattern of behavior, uh, break the chains that keep us walking this road that leads to death, so that we might be free to walk after him in his footsteps, a road that leads to life. And so to actually walk that road means that the journey in between the beginning and the end is incredibly important. Because it's in that journey that Jesus not only um, helps us get to eternity with him, but he actually tries to transform us to live and be like him. He wants to help 
us become the absolute best versions of ourselves. And so he invites us to follow wherever he leads. And so we need to be able to let go of what is natural in us, to fight the good fight, to put to death all of the sin that lives within us by the help of the Holy Spirit, to walk away from everything that is natural and right in our own eyes so that we can live and love as Jesus loves, we can serve as he served and sacrifice as he sacrificed. And the Beatitudes show us what this pathway of transformation looks like. And it is a lifelong journey. I think I'm going to be like re-walking some of these Beatitudes forever. Um, there's just some of them that it's like, that's so hard. Like last week we talked about being a peacemaker. And, and when you really think about what is required for you to be somebody who actively looks to make peace in your life and bring peace wherever you go, like you start thinking of the people that you know and how complicated their lives are and how complicated the relationship with, with, with them is and how messy it is. And you start thinking, man, this is hard. I don't really think I want to be a peacemaker, right? Yeah, that's why this is a transformation. This stuff seems daunting at its face, but slowly over the course of, of our lives, we pray and ask Jesus, help me to be more like this. Transform me from the inside out so that I can be this kind of person who looks like you. Now, um, since it's the last week, I thought it would just be fun to go ahead and read the whole list of the Beatitudes. They're all so short, and that will lead us to the final one, which we're going to cover today. So we'll start in Matthew chapter 5. Verse 2, and he, talking about Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Which means today that we are talking about how being a Christian, how following in the footsteps of Jesus will often lead to us being persecuted, mistreated, looked down upon in some way. And if you thought some of the other ones were hard, this might be the point where a lot of you say, and I've reached my limit. Like, I'm not doing this one. Like, this one just seems scary and difficult. And for a lot of Christians, the idea of persecution in itself sounds absolutely terrifying. Um, because historically, Christians have never had it so easy as we have had it easy here in the United States. It is so easy to be a Christian where we live. Um, and so I think about how easy it is for us and how much comfort we have. I mean, we, did anybody try to tackle you to keep you from coming in the doors this morning? No. Were there cops outside asking you, where are you going? You know, and if you said the wrong thing, you'd get called up. No, none of that happened, right? We just got up. Getting up was probably the hardest part of your morning. Like forcing yourself out of bed was probably the hardest part to getting here. And so we have such comfort in what we do. And just the thought of that comfort being taken away and the pleasure of this all being replaced with certain levels of pain, we find that absolutely terrifying. And um, as a comparison in some ways, I think it's similar to how I feel looking back on my grandpa's generation. 
Like my grandpa, my mom's dad, he fought in World War II. He was a young man. You get that whole generation, these guys who gave up willingly. Many of them enlisted in World War to go fight in the war um, at super young ages, 18, early 20s, left their family behind, their lives behind, never knowing if they, with certainty if they were going to come back or not. Um, my grandpa ended up fighting on Iwo Jima, got shot, spent months in an army hospital, had scars the rest of his life, um, all kinds of just brutal, horrific stuff that they witnessed, right? And again, they did that all when they were like 18 and early 20s. I am 40 years old. And my generation, I look at my generation, and we have had, we've had nothing, even on rem- remotely the scale of that kind of an experience in our whole lives. And I look at my grandpa, and I look at the life that he lived as, as a young man, and it makes me look very soft and delicate in comparison. It's like, I don't, I mean, I've heard people say this, but I think if, if, you, if millennials were in charge of winning a world war, probably wouldn't go the same way as it did back in the 40s, right? Um, And I think in the same way, American Christians, when you compare us to many other Christians living around the world today and Christians throughout history, we've gotten it pretty soft and pretty easy. We are the ones who are kind of delicate and that when opposition is forced upon us or when it finds us, we're like, oh no, what do we do? And we kind of panic and we're so scared of it when opposition is just the normal status quo for so many Christians, again, living in the world today or throughout history. And just so we can understand what persecution is, it doesn't just happen on the grand scale, okay? Um, Like, for instance, today in in modern-day China, um, the government, I think it was last year or the year before, they went on a streak of showing up to churches on Sunday morning They would bulldoze the church building while the congregation stood out in the parking lot. They would then take the pastor off, never to be seen again. And that was just what might happen on a Sunday morning. Like, so that's persecution. We might not have it at that scale, but still, any mistreatment, verbal insults, things like being fired or being uh, withheld, some level of job advancement for your faith, um, relationships being broken or cut off because of your faith, all of those things could be considered persecution. And according to Jesus, he says at some level, persecution is going to be a part, a natural part of this journey of faith. Walking with him will eventually lead to being mistreated in some way, shape, or form. Persecution just comes with the territory of following Jesus. But not just any kind of persecution. He actually adds a little, like, defining little part of a sentence onto that, where he says that we um, are blessed when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And righteousness is when we are doing what we must do to be obedient to Christ. And I want to spend the bulk of our time helping us understand what it means to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because there are other reasons to experience persecution. But Jesus specifically points to this one and says, this is the kind of persecution that that considers you blessed. This is the lifestyle that invites persecution that means that you are blessed. Um, And so he, he kind of narrows it down to this very specific kind. So let me give you a few examples of how in our context um, we might end up facing some kind of persecution um, as we're striving after righteousness, following in the footsteps of Jesus. Uh, One little thing um, that's supposed to be a universal part of being a Christian is sharing our faith. 
Well, when you share your faith with friends and family and you talk about why you are a believer and why you think Jesus is the best thing anybody can invite into their lives, some people aren't going to like that. Some people are going to get upset. How dare you talk to me and want to tell me about this? I don't know. Well, it's nonsense. And, and they might get upset that you even broach the topic no matter how gentle and kindly you tried to do it. That that abrasiveness at just the simple, normal, standard fact of sharing your faith could be considered persecution. Uh, maybe you have a boss or friends who are encouraging you to do something that is without integrity, something that is mean or unloving or unethical or deceitful in some way, and you just say, I, I can't. I can't do that. I'm not going to do these things that are going to hurt other people. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to deceive. My faith prevents me from doing that. They might Look down on you. They might mistreat you. They might make fun of you. They might say, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you? They might even consider that you are judging them. Oh, you think you're better than me? I've had that happen before. I go to, you think, that's not what I said. I didn't say I was better than you. And, but that just, by you trying to say, I can't do that. I have to live with integrity. Some people take that the wrong way. Um, maybe you decide to obey the Christian sexual ethic by keeping all sexual activity reserved for the marriage bed. Maybe you're not walking around advertising that on a billboard, but if that comes out in a conversation, there's going to be some people who are going to be like, you do what? You did what now? Like, you saved that, and you don't, what now? That's crazy. Don't, and because now in our culture, they say that's harmful and destructive. How dare, like, why would you wait? You're supposed to be getting the whole realm of experiences so that when you get married, you actually know that, yeah, I got somebody that I'm compatible with, or what is, we get, like, it's just so opposite of our world today, and it's so foreign that even most Christians now ignore the Christian sexual ethic, but it would not be out of line for people, to, or not be um, out of the realm of imagination for people to judge you and make fun of you for that. Uh, maybe you choose not to use curse words, because maybe you read the part in Scripture that says, hey, our words are supposed to be used to encourage and build others up, and you think, well, it's not, I'm not really encouraging too many people when I'm talking a certain way. Well, if you clean up your speech... People will make fun of you because you're going to sound like you're on a kid's TV show. Like, it's so unusual to have somebody walk around and never say anything that is cross. They're going to be like, what are you? Are you like, like, okay, thanks. Like, this is so weird. Like, you're going to go, like, hang out with cartoon dogs after this? Like, what's wrong with you? It's such a weird thing. And so people will make fun of you for that. Um, if you decline to have your kids participate in sports on Sunday mornings because you think it's important for them to be with their church family, they might face consequences for that. Not you, but them. The coach might bench your kid the whole season because they think you're not dedicated to have them there on a Sunday morning. Um, as a Christian, if you're properly discipling your kids and you're spending time reading scripture with them, helping them understand what it means to truly follow Jesus, there's a lot of people in our culture today that see that as indoctrination. You're trying to brainwash your kids. You shouldn't teach them anything about that and you should let them decide for yourselves and they'll make fun of you and they'll judge you and they'll criticize you for that. Even trying to maintain an even, compassionate temperament, where you're not given to extremes, where you try to give people the benefit of the doubt, you will be judged for that. Because people who think, if you're not extreme, then you don't care. And, and I, it's so bizarre to be like, I'm trying to be the calm one here, and, I, and you get yelled at for being the calm one here. It's such a strange world that we live in nowadays. Now, those are, I think, fairly small examples of persecution, because I think at this point, that's mostly what we're going to face because, again, we live in a very safe place to live out our faith. That might change in the future, but right now, we live in a very safe place. There are more extreme examples in our world. Uh, for instance, 
I think it was the right thing to do for Christians in 1940s Germany to shelter and hide Jewish people who were going to get taken away and executed. I think it was good for them to hide, that, hide them and protect people because they believed in the sanctity of life. But many of them, when they were discovered, they got hauled off to concentration camps and mistreated. That's persecution, doing what is according to your faith. Um, I mentioned modern-day China. Um, there's also people, if they find an actual copy of the Bible, they will arrest you or do something to you. Sometimes people get sent to re-education camps um, for a time, um, some for all time, and never get seen by their families again because China has its own government-issued, ed- heavily edited Bible that conforms to what they want you to know and to like bring Bibles into the country or to own a Bible is illegal. And those people face harsh persecution for just having a copy of God's word. And so the idea that we might do what is righteous and, and do what is right in God's eyes and still have pain enter our lives is something that we're not okay with because we've had it so comfortable for so long that we think I do the right thing and then God blesses me with more comfort. God blesses me with more easiness. And to say, wait, you're saying that if I do the right thing, I'm more likely for the easy stuff to go away? Like, that's not even in our brains. And yet, Scripture is incredibly clear about that. That's why I had Denise read that passage earlier where Jesus is talking about the suffering that's going to come upon his disciples and those who follow him. It's, it was, you know, it's interesting when I knew that that passage was going to Um, help lead us into the sermon, but I didn't know how it would be received because it's very like, hey, bad things are going to happen to you, and then the next sentence is like, and more bad things, and the next sentence is, and more bad things, and I'm like, it's not like the cheery, like, praise God who takes care of us kind of a verse that you typically would stick into the the middle of the the worship time, Um, but the thing is, though, that If we truly seek to obey Jesus and all that we say and do, that will put us at odds with others in our lives. That will put us in the place where we have to choose, am I going to do what pleases Jesus or am I going to do what pleases the people around me? And we're going to choose to do what Jesus says is right rather than what they believe is right, rather than what they believe is wise. We're going to follow Jesus wherever he chooses to lead us. That's what the path of these Beatitudes is leading us towards. And that will often lead to some level of persecution, whether it shows up in big ways or small ways. But ultimately, being persecuted is unavoidable for Christians because doing what is right should be unavoidable for Christians. We should get to a place of spiritual transformation at some point where we just have to do the right thing, where lying to someone just seems like, I'm not going to do that, where we're keeping the extra money that you found, even though you know it, who, where, who dropped it. Like, that, you, why would I do That's not mine. That's theirs. Like, return, like, those things just seem like the right thing to do. Like, have you ever, like, I know I've gotten, you know, um, made fun of before when I go back and... Um, report a mistake that was kind of good in my favor, and someone's like, why did you go back? Like, that cost you money to go back and do the right thing. Are you an idiot? And it's like, maybe. I'm an idiot for Jesus. Like, maybe I should get that on a t-shirt. I don't know. But it's like, but it's like that was doing the right thing, like, because Jesus has so worked in me that doing what is unrighteous, at some point, it's like eating rotten food. It's like, why would I ever take that bite? That doesn't even seem good or, or taste good to me anymore. And, and 
So doing the right thing, it should at some point in our walk with Jesus seem to be like the unavoidable choice. And there's times where it's like, ooh, there, somebody's not going to like this. I, I know they're not going to like if I bring up Jesus, but I'm, I, I have to. I, need, <clears throat> I heard one pastor who, um, anytime a new family moved into his neighborhood, he'd kind of wait till they were like mowing or something. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm Matt. How's it going? Shake their hand and, and stuff. And he's like, yeah, what do you do? And they'd say what, he, what they did and what brought him to the area. And he's like, and they'd say, okay, what do you do? He's like, well, I'm the pastor of a such and such a church, so let me just get this out there. You know I'm going to have to tell you about Jesus at some point. Do you want to do that now, or do you want to have dinner sometime? And I was like, that's a pretty bold move, but, I mean, it was kind of like, a, I have to do this. We'll do it on your terms. Do you want it to be now, or do you want to, like, schedule something? I thought that was pretty cute. Um, but, but, like I said earlier, the reason we have to understand this Sentence, or this little bit of a sentence that Jesus put in there where he says we are persecuted for righteousness sake is because it is possible to be persecuted for other reasons besides righteousness. Sometimes Christians invite persecution by doing very unchristlike things. Um, and we just try to stamp the name of Jesus on it. Um, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians, in fact, who are mean and compassionless and cold and judgmental. And then they, they hear verses about being, you know, persecuted for being Christian. And part of you is like, are you being persecuted for doing what is righteous? Or are, you, are people just mean to you because you're kind of a jerk? Like, that, that's, those are different things. You understand? Like, those are very different things between somebody not liking that you're choosing to please Jesus over them and then you just walking around like being mean to people. Um, I heard a pastor uh, years ago, his name was Caleb Kaltenbach, who was raised by gay parents. And um, this was before Jesus came into his life, but that's the world he was born into, and that's just what he knew. And so his parents took him to pride parades and stuff growing up, and he says he remembers very distinctly um, as a child when he was very young that Christians were spitting on him, and some were dumping cups of urine on these people. Now, when this stuff kind of happens... And it raises a lot of bad press, naturally, and rightfully so. Then there's people who go, oh, horrible Christians. Look at these horrible Christians. These people can't go, well, we're getting persecuted for our faith. It's like, no, that is not the same thing. What you did was not required of you by righteousness. I don't even know the steps that get from um, walking in the footsteps of Jesus, from being called blessed or the merciful, to collecting your urine to throw it on children and other people at a parade. Um, but that's an example where Christians do something where they are so far away from what is righteous, and they get called out on it, rightfully so, and then try to act like, well, I'm being persecuted, so it's what to be expected. That's not how this works. Um, others ways that some people um, experience persecution. Uh, everybody's probably either knows someone or has someone in their family um, who is kind of like the black sheep because every time you get together, they just are like over-the-top angry at everyone and they want to rant about Jesus and the country's going to hell and if this is that, and you're like, and they're, they're not sharing their faith with anybody. They're just kind of ranting about it at people and, and talking, well, if it was this way, everything would be right and, and they're mad and, and people are like, I don't, 
should we not invite them to Christmas anymore because it's just so awkward. They're so angry all the time. They never stop talking about this and that. And, 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 and they can be like, well, I'm being persecuted, cut out of my family. It's like, that's not the same. You're not lovingly sitting down with anybody and having a gentle, honest conversation about faith. You're trying to like smack people in the face with what you see as good and right. And what is upsetting is when you have these people who either maybe they're Christians, maybe they just believe that they are Christians, and they do things that are not in alignment with the righteousness of Jesus, they face backlash for it, and then they act as if being persecuted approves, it, it determines, it, it proves what they have done. It proves that they are doing the Lord's work, and there's a difference there. That's why Jesus, he didn't say, blessed are the persecuted, because there's a lot of reasons you could be persecuted. He said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, because you've done what is right in the eyes of Jesus. And, when we do, and, and I think one good judge of this or not, like a little question you can ask yourself to say, like, which, what am I doing here? And it's, is it necessary? Because righteous is always necessary. The right thing, when you get to that point of choosing between doing what is righteous and shying away or doing the wrong thing... I think there's that moment where you get to the place where like, the right thing, I have to do it. I can't walk away from this. But things like being harsh and yelling at people and whatever else that Christians like to do to be angry and vent their anger and judgment on people, like those aren't necessary in following Jesus in many times. And so I think that's why Jesus added this very important qualifier that those who are blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake because not all persecution is created equal and not all persecution should be considered blessed. Um, because again, being persecuted for being a jerk is not proof that Jesus approves of what you are doing. Um, but for those of us who are truly, deeply, earnestly wanting to walk the way of Jesus, who want to walk through all of these beatitudes, who want to be the kind of person who hungers for righteousness, who, who is merciful to a world that does not look like us or agree with us, to be people um, who are pure of heart. If we want to be those people, then at some point we are going to face persecution, even in a country that largely makes it a safe place for us to exist. Um, and what is really important is that we understand that it's going to happen and we accept that it's okay. You see, we get one thing that's so common because it's so foreign to us here is when people do start facing persecution, they get mad at God. God, how dare you? I did the right thing and bad things happened. That's not how this is supposed to work. No, Jesus says very clearly multiple times throughout the Gospels, persecution is a natural part of the way of Jesus. It's what happens when we follow him. And so we should not get bitter. We should not be angry. We should not get depressed when this happens. No, there, in fact, Jesus <clears throat> does something that he does with no other beatitude to kind of give us some level of encouragement, something to focus on. When we're experiencing the persecution and we're tempted to be mad and angry and depressed, he gives us something to focus on to keep us having the right perspective. So Jesus, here's what he does <clears throat> in I'm going to skip a couple, I'm going to skip a verse here and we'll come back to it in a second. Okay, here's what Jesus says. So he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But then there's two whole other verses. Like, he, it's almost like he knows they're going to have a hard time with this one. I might want to give them a little extra to kind of encourage them a little bit. He even says again, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on, on my account. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He points us repeatedly back to eternity. He points our eyes saying, hey, this is the road that leads to eternity. A road that leads to a life that is better than all things that this world has to offer. He reminds us not to worry about whether or not our lifestyle lines up with this world. It won't. Because we are to live as citizens of the next world. And he tells us to keep our eyes on eternity. That's why he says, in fact, you might have noticed the first beatitude and the last beatitude in the same way. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so if we are persecuted for righteousness sake, and we're for sure that we're being persecuted for righteousness sake, Jesus says that is proof that you are walking the right road. In fact, if you never experience persecution, it might mean that you've, you are actively avoiding obedience. I mean, I think that's why almost no Christians share their faith anymore. I mean, if we've never experienced persecution for that, it's probably because we don't do it. And that should be a, a little bit of a scary thing. If you never experience it, maybe that means you aren't living in ways that are righteous. But when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, it is proof that we are living the right way, we are doing the right things and following Jesus, and we'll eventually get to go where he is. And if we're going to be willing to endure persecution, we have got to keep our eyes firmly focused on what is to come, because that is our joy, that is our hope, that is our focus. And the Apostle Paul also um, kind of shows us that this is the road for most of us. Megan, you want to get me back there instead of me clicking through like 18 slides since I decided to switch things up on the fly? First, it's the second Timothy verse. There we go. Paul, he's writing to his mentee, Timothy, his disciple. And he says, you, however, have followed. You've, been, you've watched all my life, Timothy. You've followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, and my persecutions. Now, all that other stuff, we're like, yeah, good for him. He's patient. And they're like, oh, persecutions. It always comes in at the last. It's like they're like trying to hook you. You know, and he's like, oh, but there's a catch a little bit. He's like, so my steadfastness and my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. Those are different cities that Paul had traveled to in the Roman world. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And, you know, I got to think, as soft American Christians, I think we just got to toughen up a little bit. We've got to stop being so afraid of offending anybody, of, of um, struggling with relationships because of trying to follow Jesus. I mean, I don't know where we got so far off track, um, but so many Christians have compromised in so many ways to just blend in and reduce any amount of friction in our lives, and there's supposed to be some. Uh, we've compromised because we don't want to be considered fanatics or weirdos. But I think at some level, we're supposed to stand out from our culture. And it's upsetting that because the persecutions we're most likely going to face are so small in comparison to what others are going through. We cower at the thought of losing a friend or losing a job for our faith. When there are Christians throughout the world who are, the real fear is losing their lives, losing their families because of, because of persecution. And... Um, that's why Jesus points us to eternity, because the more we keep our eyes on what will be, the easier it will be for us to accept the bad that is here and now. 
persecution will not be fun. I'm, I hope I haven't even like tried to like spin it that way. Like it's good, it's good in that it's proof that we are following Jesus, but persecution is just unpleasant. It's not going to be great. But it does remind us that this world is not our home. And I think we're too comfortable here sometimes that we hate eternity. We don't even think about eternity. We're scared of eternity because we've gotten so comfortable here. And it reminds us this world is not our home and that we are walking a path that leads to Jesus. And it doesn't just, it's not just a path that leads to Jesus. It's a path that makes us like Jesus. And the more that happens and the longer and further we walk this road of faith, the less we will fit in here and the more we will fit in with the kingdom to come. And that is what it means to be truly blessed. Let's pray. Father, this is a tough idea for us to be okay with. I don't know if we've ever lived, uh, Christians have ever lived in a time where um, persecution for our faith was so foreign. Um, and our, our culture has taken a, di- a distinct uh, turn to where being a follower of Jesus is not as popular as it used to be. But um, the actual you know, roadblocks to us living out our faith are so small still, relatively speaking. But I pray that we would be people of courage, that we would be people of integrity, that we would want to do what Jesus says is right, that we would want to live with integrity in all that we say and do, that we would want to honor you in all that we say and do. And if there are times when there are people around us that doing what is right in your eyes is wrong in theirs, that we would choose to please you over them. And if that leads to some level of discomfort or friction between us and the world we live in, then um, let us just be reminded that, you know, this world is not our home. We're not made to fit in here smoothly, but we're made um, for another kingdom. And it's the one that you're shaping us to fit into. And so you, you came to create a, a kingdom that is completely different than the world that we live in. And if we're going to join that kingdom, then we're going to be different too. And that's okay. So let us be bold. Let us have courage. Let the idea of persecution not scare us. Let us remember that we have a church family to lean on, that we have people who are going to be experiencing the same things we've experienced, who are going to go through the tough moments um, just like, like we are, and that we do have a support system. You're not sending us out into the world all alone um, to, to suffer and be persecuted. But no, you've, you've given us this church family um, that is like a small bit of your kingdom on earth so that we can have people that understand and, and show us um, compassion and give us encouragement so that we've done the right things. And if, and if we are doing the wrong things and we're getting persecuted for doing the wrong things, then we've got people here who can point that out to us and show us that, hey, maybe we've gotten a little off track. Um, but I just pray that we would, um, we would consider it blessed to be persecuted for righteousness' sake because when we're doing what is righteous, we are doing what is right in your eyes, not in our own. And... Um, our own eyes often lead to death, but what you have us have for us always leads to life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.